0: Turn to the person next to you and ask them, what do you want for Christmas this year? (laughs) Next question, what if the Lord asked you that same question. What if he said to you, what do you want for Christmas this year? There was a recent survey, and they asked people, what do you want? And the majority of them started listing gadgets. I want an iPhone, I want an updated Samsung, I want an iPad, I want a laptop, I want a... That was the number one response. Uh, Then there was shoes which was interesting, that so many people said they want shoes. Some people said books and money, you know. A few people said things like world peace, you know, and things like that. So, if you ask the Lord, if the Lord asked you this morning, what do you want for Christmas, how would you respond? Because we would have that initial response of things, and then if we get went deeper, those things would start dying off the list and we would start asking for eternal things and spiritual things and more important things. This morning, Roger and Kim Russell are here on the second row. If you were to ask Roger, what do you want for Christmas year? He wouldn't list things. He'd say, I want that cancer in my son to go away. For God to heal that. That's more important to me and something I can just charge, put batteries in, and then eventually throw away. And this morning I want to talk about Jesus our Savior. It was interesting. I was thinking this week, I, I wish Mark would sing Jesus Saves in the service, but it's too late to get him to change. And I sat on the front row and he started singing, I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's exactly what we need is, because this morning is about Jesus saves. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I will invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. It's fun to approach Scripture with curiosity, because the Lord always has so many layers of meaning to what He puts in His Word. So it's it's good to approach Scripture like a private investigator stepping on a crime scene. When you're reading a passage of Scripture, it's like, okay, there's the dead body. Who is this? Check his wallet. You know, and uh, and that there's, gun, there's a gun over there. Let's check the fingerprints on that gun. And are there bullets still in that gun? Is the same bullet used here? You know, uh, let's check the security cameras and let's find out who was in and out recently. And uh, let's find out about the relationships you're approaching. And when we approach Scripture, God has so much meaning in what He does. We should say, you know, why did the Lord put that here? And where were they? And who's talking? And why is this important? Because it's always important. If, if it could be written all the things that Jesus did and the books that should be written, the whole world couldn't contain them. So he and his kindness towards us has given us something we can carry in our hands and says, just focus in on this. I have packed it so full of meaning, you'll never be able to get to all of it. So drink it in like a living river every day and let me feed you and nourish you. Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 18 now the birth of Jesus was as follows when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit and Joseph her husband being a righteous man he kept the law but he knew the law would require for her to be publicly humiliated and then stoned to death but not wanting to disgrace her He planned to send her away secretly, just in kindness and love and mercy, because she's pregnant. She's not married yet. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, he was a descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And watch this, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When I read that, I I got curious about verse 18 right there. It says, she will bear a son, and you will call his name, here's the name, Joseph, I want you to call the Messiah of the world, specifically this name, and here's why for he will save his people from their sins. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Would you just ask the Lord to speak to your heart during this time? And whatever he wants to do in you, that you would give him your yes. Father, in Jesus' name, we need you now. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and lead us and guide us, and that you would take over and do a deep, eternal work in our lives. And we give you this time now in Jesus name. Amen. It had been 400 years of silence since the last book of the Old Testament was written, and there's waiting for the Messiah, there was all of these prophecies leading up to the Messiah. And then, in this situation with Joseph, he didn't know that Messiah was about to arrive. And then he finds out his fiance is pregnant. And I'm sure he was devastated by this. And then at the same time, thinking, I love her and I care about her, but I don't want her to be stoned to death. And so. In this one dream, God takes something that is so traumatic in him and flips it on his head and blows his mind, bringing so much good out of this situation. And he says, don't be afraid to take Mary. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's interesting. Max Licato says this, if our greatest need had been information— god would have sent an educator if our greatest need had been technology he would have sent a maybe a scientist if our greatest need had been money he would have sent an economist but since our greatest need was forgiveness god sent us a savior has it sunk in you that more than an ipad more than more money more than a christmas bonus more than whatever's going on in politics today whatever's the new flavor more than that God would look at your life and he would say I want to deal with the cancer inside of you because I love you so much I love you so much and I see your greater need and the greater need is what's going on spiritually inside your heart not is there water in the road when you drive to work in Albany Georgia and when the Lord looks at our lives and he loves us deeply and he sees that our own sin Yes, before we give our lives to Christ, it separates us from God. And our own sin destroys marriages, it destroys thinking, it destroys time, it destroys relationships, it destroys cultures. The Bible says sin is a reproach to any people. The wages of sin is death. Not only spiritually do I deserve to go to hell because of my sin, but it brings death to trust. It brings death to joy. It brings death everywhere it goes. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin that we tolerate in our lives ends up contaminating, poisoning everything else. When I'm trying to explain it to my kids, I say it's like poop in the punch bowl. God has given us so many good things. Would you drink, the, would you drink out of the punch bowl that has poop in it? No. And yet in our own lives, we say, you know, it's okay for me to tolerate a little poop in my punch bowl. And God looks down at us, though, and says, oh, you won't enjoy the punch bowl until we deal with the poop. You know I have six kids because I so freely use the word poop. (laughs) 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 Ephesians 2 explains, though, that because of our sins, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're indulging in our selfish desires. We're by nature children of wrath. We deserve God's judgment and wrath. Because sin, in its, really, in its DNA, is ultimately a rejection of who God is. Sin is ungodliness. Every time we sin, it's because instead of embracing truth, we're lying. Instead of embracing love, we're hating. Instead of embracing humility and kindness, we're choosing self over everyone else. And we hate it when people sin against us. We despise it. A lot of times when we describe how we're doing in a season, how are you doing this year? This is a really hard year. Why was it hard? Oftentimes the joy of the year is connected to how healthy the relationships are with those that are closest to us. And even if everything else is going great at work or financially or in the economy or whatever, if your closest relationships are falling apart, you're not doing well. But how many times do you see people, they say, you know, we barely make an ends meet. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in the world, but God has blessed us. And they talk about their relationship with the Lord, and they talk about those that are closest to them. And yet sin destroys so many relationships in our lives. So, the Apostle Paul says, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? God says, I'm going to send you and the world... Someone who will deal with your greatest need, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so I had the question, I was like, well, why did he connect Jesus to saving his people from their sins? And why did he tell Joseph this? He told Mary a bunch of other things about who Jesus would be. Why did not he specifically tell Joseph this? Because the name of the Messiah that was just revealed to Joseph had already been revealed to Mary earlier by the Lord And when the angel spoke it, it wasn't a new name to Joseph. It was a name, in fact, Israel had heard for hundreds of years. They were very familiar with the name. It was the name Yeshua, which is their word for Joshua in the Old Testament. And the word Joshua means Jehovah saves or the Lord saves. It means God is my salvation. I don't save myself. I need God to do it, but God does save Jesus saves. And so when he says to Joseph, Yeshua is the name of the Messiah, your son that's going to be born, because he's going to save, specifically save you from sin. In Joseph's mind, Yeshua bloomed with meaning because when he was growing up, he heard about David and Goliath, but Joshua was a hero to the Jews. If you go back and look, little boys grew up, I want to be like Joshua. He was this warrior. He was this victorious uh, dude everywhere he went. He was the gladiator. He was the brave heart. He was the man. So I went back and looked. I was like, well, why, why is this important? And why should we understand more about who Joshua is? Why did God specifically name him that? And how does that tie into Jesus? And how does it tie into our sin? So we're gonna dive now into the Old Testament and we're gonna look at Joshua and we're gonna ask ourselves the questions, why is it important that God specifically gave Jesus the name Yeshua? Because Jesus is actually our, is the Latin or English translation that we use in our language. In Greek, it's (laughs) Iesus. In Greek, so in the Greek translation, in the Septuagint, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, they had a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And every time it referred to Joshua, it would say Yesus. And in our New Testament Greek, if you go back and look at Joshua, the Old Old Testament hero, and it references him a couple of times, it uses the word Yesus, the same name for Jesus. So Yeshua is the Hebrew version of that, and that's what Joseph would have heard that day. So if we jump back and we look at who is this dude Joshua and why do we need to learn from him and why is it important to us and why did God specifically give the one, the name above every name, that name specifically? Because in the Old Testament, Joshua was God's leader. If you remember, who led God's people into the promised land and then he took out every single enemy of God. He took out every, every tribe, every group, every king, all the enemies of God, all the enemies of Israel. He led his people by God's power to take out every single one of them, victory upon victory, to the point where he then divided the inheritance amongst God's people. Why is that important? Well, let's look at what we can learn about Joshua. If you could turn to Exodus chapter 17, it's the first reference to Joshua in the Old Testament. And let me fly through this real quick. Here's a little history of Joshua. First, when he was born, he was a slave in Egypt. His parents were slaved. His grandparents had been slaved. His great-grandparents had been slaved. And his parents were from the tribe of Ephraim. And actually, did you know, his parents did not name him Joshua. They named him Hoshea or Hosea. And that word means savior or deliverer son you are gonna be our savior or deliverer they're in bondage they're in slavery they name him that here's the hope that maybe our son will be the instrument that God will use to save us and deliver us then Moses shows up on the scene God's obviously called Moses to deliver the people from Israel God does deliver them demonstrating his power and glory through the plagues and delivers them from Egypt Joshua crosses the Red Sea with the people of Israel, and when he lands on the other side, he's with them. And the Bible says he became Moses' servant. He became Moses' right-hand man. And and young people, if you want to work your way up to a great leadership position, start by serving other leaders. And coming along, serve your boss, serve your pastor, serve the leaders that God has placed over you, and just say, I'm here to serve. And Joshua was a faithful, loyal servant to Moses. Moses. We find out in Exodus, I mean we find out in Numbers later on, that his name was not Joshua. His parents had named him Hoshea or Hosea. But it says when God is sending in the tribes in to investigate the promised land, he lists everybody and he lists Hoshea. And then at at the end of that passage in Numbers it says this, but Moses decided to call him Joshua instead. Because Joshua doesn't mean you're the savior. Joshua is a combination of Jehovah, Yasha. God is our salvation. You're not the secret, Joshua. The Lord is the secret to salvation. And and Joshua, if you'll realize that God is your strength and God is your power and God is the one who saves and God is the one who delivers, then Joshua, that's what I want to call you. So Moses began to call him Joshua. Joshua. So, we jump back to Exodus now, chapter 17, and this is the first reference that we see of the name Joshua in Scripture, because as soon as they get to the promised land, and they're celebrating that God has destroyed Pharaoh and Egypt, and set them free from the chariots and the bondage, and he's he's closed back up the Red Sea, and they're worshiping the Lord, then they look around, they don't have food, God gives them manna, they don't have water, God gives them water, and then the Bible says a random, out-of-the-box tribe, a pagan group in that, in that area, in their promised land, came and attacked them. It's like just suddenly, people, we didn't do anything against them, but they're coming after us to attack us. And it's the Amalekites. And so in Exodus 17, verse 8, then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to, first time the word Joshua was ever written in the Bible, Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out fight against amalek tomorrow i will station myself on top of the hill hold my hand uh, with the staff of god in my hand joshua did as moses told him and fought against amalek you know what happened moses holds the as long as he keeps his hands up and then it says joshua verse 13 overwhelmed amalek and his people with the edge of the sword it doesn't say the israelites it says joshua then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a memorial and recite it to who? Joshua. God is now, here's what's interesting about this. What did Joshua's parents name him? Hoshea, Hosea? What did God in this passage call him? Joshua. Moses had renamed him. Here's what I want to call you now. You're not Simon anymore, you're Peter. You're not Abraham anymore, you're Abraham. And right here, Moses says, you're not Hoshea anymore. You're not the deliverer. Jehovah saves. You are Joshua. God is the salvation. Right here, God calls him Joshua. He says, recite this to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there, and he named it the Lord. He named it the Lord is my banner of victory. God is my victory in this situation. Jehovah Nisi, and the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. So the first time we hear Joshua's right here, now you don't have to turn there, but the second time we, we hear about Joshua is in chapter 24. Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Joshua goes with Moses up to the mountain of God, and when he gets up, it says, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it. So Joshua is on the mountain, With Moses and God's glory shows up Are any bells going off for you you know anybody in the New Testament who went up on a mountain and the glory of the Lord was revealed and he was standing there with Moses Jesus the parallel Joshua Old Testament Yeshua Jesus New Testament parallel it's already a picture of Christ the next time we see Joshua is at the entrance of the tent of meeting Because when Moses would enter the tent of meeting in Exodus 33, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance. The Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance, they would arise and worship at their own tents. And the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, it says Joshua would stay in the tent after Moses left. Now let me remind you that moses represents the law he was god's conduit to bring the law to the people and if you want to follow the law you have to do it perfectly scripture says if you want to earn your way into heaven you have to be perfect no sin and in this situation moses is interceding on behalf of the people but it's interesting to me that joshua was given special access to go into the presence of the lord The other people were not. He's with Moses. And Moses in his intercession would run out and Moses would leave. But Joshua would stay in the tent. And I see this parallel of Jesus, the old high priests. But Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. We fast forward to the 12 spies. They're checking out the land. Joshua was one of the 12. And he came back and said, let's take it. God's with us. The other 10 spies doubted. They said, no, we can't do it. This is too hard for God to handle after he's delivered us from Egypt, after all the plagues, after all the provisions. This is too big for God to handle. I know God can do other things. I know he delivered us from Egypt, but this is too hard for God. And they don't trust the Lord. Joshua says, no, we can take it. Let's do it. As a result of their sin, as you know, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, tested by the Lord. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, tested by the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 3, Joshua, after everybody else is dying off, it says God commissioned, consecrated Joshua to lead God's people across the Jordan River because Moses sinned one time. He struck the rock when he shouldn't have. God says, Moses, sorry, you don't qualify to go in. that seems harsh to us I mean look Moses went through all this stuff for you God how could you not let him go in because Moses represents the law and you have to be perfect if you want to go into the promised land by the law and Moses wasn't perfect so he didn't get to go in but Joshua represents Jesus the book of John says the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and Joshua the representative of Christ in the situation he gets to lead the people into the promised land where the law could not So Joshua was commissioned. Chapter 34, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Jesus started off his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to free the captives. Deuteronomy 31, God said to Moses, you cannot cross the river. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. Joshua is the one who will cross, he says. Joshua was the successor of Moses. And Jesus was the successor of the Old Testament law, bringing the new covenant. In Joshua chapter 1, after Moses dies, God commissions him to lead the people. He says, be strong and courageous, Joshua. God has given you authority, chapter 1, verse 3. He's given you God's word. He's given you God's presence. I will never leave you. And you've got God's people to support you. And I look at that and say, Jesus has all authority. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is God with us. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. So Joshua goes in and he does something Moses never could do. He leads the people from one victory after another. So the Lord was with Joshua, chapter 6, verse 27, and his fame was in all the land. When Israel was defeated in one battle against the small town of AI, if you remember they were temporarily defeated, what did Joshua do? He'd crawl in a corner and suck his thumb and cry? No, it says he tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening and interceded for Israel. He said, Alas, O Lord, what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Jesus interceded for us, was crucified for us, poured blood on the altar for us, and the Father said, rise up. Joshua went on to lead Israel to destroy all the enemies of the land. If you remember... He needed to defeat Jericho, but Jericho was too big and too hard. What was the strategy? He knelt down in surrender before the captain of the Lord's army, which I believe is an Old Testament theophany of Jesus. And God gives him the strategy, and they march around Jericho. God makes the walls fall. God does the delivering. God does the heavy saving and the lifting. And Joshua walks in that victory. Joshua chapter 7. He realized we cannot defeat Ai until we deal with hidden sin. This is God's people in God's land, obeying God to take the territory. But because of hidden sin, they couldn't walk forward in victory. Instead, they're living in defeat. And when God confronted and said, you got to deal with the hidden sin, Joshua again intercedes and he helps deal with the hidden sin so they can move forward in victory. Joshua 9 They're deceived by the Gibeonites. Joshua learns he's got to deal with an unwise commitment and an ungodly friendship. And he, instead of being uh, taken over by the Gibeonites, Joshua enslaves them with God's help. And in Joshua chapter 10, it's one of my favorite passages in Joshua, there are five kings who try to attack the children of Israel. And Joshua cries out to the Lord, God works a miracle, and they capture all five kings. And it's interesting because it says, they put the five kings in a cave, covered up the cave, and they went and they defeated everybody else, and then they came back to these five kings, pulled them out, and Joshua told his men, "Put your feet on the necks of these kings, your enemies." And so his men put their feet on the necks of the enemies. And he declared total defeat. Not only he'd already defeated their armies. But that was just a picture of total domination. All the enemies were under their feet. And then they killed those five kings. Joshua then defeats in succession one army, one battle, one enemy after another. Eventually, at the end of the book of Joshua, it says he destroyed 33 kings and cities. All these enemies to God. And he had total victory. Even after Ai's temporary defeat, they ended up coming back and defeating Ai. So we go back to Amalek when Joshua, the first time we meet Joshua, all the way to the end of his life. And we see he overcame all the enemies. He saved Israel from all of their enemies and then divided the inheritance amongst their people. In Joshua chapter 11, it says, he he left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken and gave it for an inheritance, and the land had rest. Why is this important? Because the Bible says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, Profe- prophecy. Sit at my right hand until I put all of your enemies under your feet at your footstool. So God the Father says that to Jesus. In Hebrews 10, it says, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for all sins, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. When Jesus stepped on the scene, In the New Testament, he overcame all the enemies. Sickness, he overcame it, put sickness under his feet. The the Old Testament law, he fulfilled it, completed it. The Old Testament covenant. Demons, he rebuked them. He cast them out, overcame them. The wind, the waves, the storm, it didn't matter what it was. Jesus put everything under his feet. And the Bible says... That we walk in the victory that Christ has already won. So, Joseph, name him Yeshua. Because Yeshua means the Lord saves. And remember Joshua? When he took over and God empowered him, he went in and defeated 100% of the enemies. Now, some of the Israelites didn't carry out the victory they'd already won. They won, and he says, all right, take the land. And sometimes they would go into an area and they would leave some leftover uh, people and and not take the land that God had already given them. He'd already won it. He'd already provided it for them. They didn't always walk in it. Some of the tribes didn't always walk in it, but Joshua did his part, completed everything that God told him to do, and divided up the whole land to the people of Israel. So with that in mind, Jesus, Yeshua, came is Savior to save us from our sins. Because our biggest enemy is sin. Luke chapter 9, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Some of you and many people think Jesus can't, Jesus can forgive some people, but He can't forgive me of my sin. My, my sin is too dark. My, I have fallen too much. My sin must be unpardonable. And I want you to know this morning, Joshua wiped them all out. As representative, Jesus is bringing all enemies under his feet. Through one death on the cross, he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There is not a sin that you are committing or have committed that Jesus cannot handle. And you don't need to be like the spies saying, oh, I know that God can deliver, and I know he's done this, and I've seen the plagues, and I've seen the answers to prayer, but this is too difficult for God. Your sin is not. Some of you this morning just need to hear, God can forgive even you, and he's already won the victory through his death on the cross. Let me remind you that God's power and his mercy and his grace are more than enough for you to live in freedom from that sin. But Jesus not only dealt with the power of sin so that we could be forgiven and go to heaven, or not only the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. And that's the thing that Christians need to be reminded of. is too often Christians, after having embraced Jesus, confessed him as Lord, believe in his cross, they know God's forgiven them, But yet they don't walk in the freedom and the victory that has already been won for them. And so they continue to live enslaved to sin. It'd be almost like Israel having to send messages to Pharaoh in Egypt saying, will you still tell us what to do? And Pharaoh's dead. And too often Christians walk in perpetual sin and defeat, and they allow the enemy to lie to them that you have to continue to stay in bondage in this area. And Jesus put all the enemies under his feet. Jesus said this in John 12, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If you've given your life to Christ, God's word declares you're free. And you need to discover the freedom that you have in Christ. God wants sin out of your life, but he's already paid for it and dealt with it. And God's power and his truth and his presence and his love and his authority, just like given to Joshua, has been given to you. He has given you authority over that sin that is in your life. And he's given you his Holy Spirit, his presence. He's given you his word that you might not sin against God. He's given you his church, and God has given you what you need to walk in freedom over that sin. So let me ask you this morning, are you walking in victory? And this morning, one of the best gifts you could ever give God for Christmas is to say, God, this area of my life where I have not trusted you, and I continue to live in defeat, and like Achan in the book of Joshua who hid sin in the camp and it caused defeat in his own family and his life and in the people that were around him, you need to get honest about it and bring it before the Lord and say, God, your name is Jesus. Jehovah saves you not only save me from the penalty of sin, but you save me from the power of sin. And I'm calling upon you, Lord Jesus, to save me from this and set me free. And he would say to you, I already have. Amen. I already have. Walk in it. Live in it. That's why Romans chapter 6 says, therefore, in light of what Christ has done for you, consider yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, he has already died so that you can walk in fullness of life. And Romans 6 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't go presenting the members of your body to sin anymore, but present yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He says, he died so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, now present yourselves and your members as righteous as slaves to righteousness having been freed from sin walk in it there is not even one sin in your life and my life that jesus cannot deliver you from you say my addiction is to jesus is bigger than that addiction you say well my, my sin is too dark jesus is bigger than that sin My past is too riddled with failure. I've failed, and I've failed, and I've failed. Well, you aren't the savior. Jehovah saves, and you need him to do it. So in Acts chapter 13, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So God has given you victory. And in Joshua's situation, there was an enemy. He had to get on his knees and lift his arms and get the strategy from the captain of the Lord's army to defeat that enemy. And some of you, there may be areas of your life, you need to get on your knees before the Lord, whether you do it at home or in your office or wherever you do it. And you need to say, Lord, I need your strategy because you've won the victory to help me overcome that. There was one with AI, that there was hidden influences that were evil in his life. And some of you, there's a sin that you won't be able to overcome until you get honest about other influences that are leading you into that sin. And just like with AI, when you deal with those influences, there's going to be a new victory for you to walk in that freedom. And in Joshua 9, like the Gibeonites, he had to deal with unwise commitments and ungodly friendships. And some of you, there's unwise commitments and there's ungodly friendships in your life. And Jesus has already paid the price. You can walk in victory, but the Lord may want to help you deal with those before you walk in that freedom. But when Joshua then, as he worked through these issues, he began to defeat one enemy after another. And you know, there's there's an excitement that comes when you see believers and they say, for the first time in my life, I've, I've met people and they say, for decades I've been enslaved to this. For the first time in my life, God has given me freedom. He can do it for you and for me. Jehovah saves, he saves the non-Christian to salvation and the Christian from ongoing sin. Let's walk in it, let's pray together. Would you stand, we're gonna pray and have an invitation time. Some of you, whether you stay in your seat or you come to this altar and pray for yourself or someone else, you may be here this morning and you say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want you to know today is the day of salvation for you. We want to invite you to, to repent and believe on Christ. Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave and is offering forgiveness from sins. It's not Sherwood offering, and I'm not offering it. Jesus offers it. And you can call upon Jesus to be saved right where you are, or if you would like to talk to someone about making a decision for Christ, we have ministers down here, down front. We invite you to come to pray and to do business with God. Let's have a great Christmas this year because of where we are spiritually, regardless of what's going on in our culture. More important than anything else, our relationship with God. He's the source of love, joy, and peace. Let's let him be our hope and our contentment. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus saves We thank you, Lord, that there is not one enemy that you are not going to bring under your feet. We thank you, Lord, that through the death and resurrection of Christ that we can consider ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but now alive to God. We no longer have to be a slave to sin. We can walk in the freedom. So, Lord, I pray that would sink into our hearts and our minds and I pray that daily as we abide in you, as we walk with you, we will walk in that new freedom. Lord, I pray that today you would be setting people free today from chains that have been haunting them day in and day out, chains of shame, chains of addictions, chains of hopelessness. Lord, I thank you that you can overcome and have overcome all of those things. Lord, we need you, and we call upon Jesus today to save us. We pray this in your name. Amen.